Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I love the songs. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I, um, I thought they were really weird. I kind of read some of this stuff and it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, there's some really weird things in there that I didn't think were going to be in the Bible. You know, I kind of came into this thing thinking the Bible's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like an upbeat book, you know? There's like all these positivities in the Bible. And then I read some scriptures in Psalms where the dude was asking God to smite his enemy. And I thought, well, this is not what I thought was going to happen. I kind of put it aside for a while and, uh, and I came back to it a little later, and, and God began to kind of open these things up for me. And I began to fall in love with the Psalms. And the Psalms really are a collection of poems and worship songs. So they're poems that were written to music and are meant to be sung out in praise. In fact, that song that we sang at the end is, actually starts out in Psalm 103. Um, and an absolutely incredible psalm. But not all the Psalms are songs of praise. Some of them are what we call laments, where the writer of the psalm, the psalmist, is really, he is pouring out his guts to God. He is letting everything out. And I think some of us struggle with that language. Some of us struggle. We're like, no, 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 no. You're meant to kind of keep it positive, dude. You're not meant to go into that place. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning in terms of our emotions. Because the reality is we live in tough times. We live in a country that at times I think when you see we're kind of inundated with news, especially on social media. And the problem is now everyone, there's a camera everywhere. Everything's caught on camera. In the old days you just read about stuff and kind of think about it in your imagination. Now you see everything. And it's so graphic. And it just, and it, I know people in this church that, are, that have been massively impacted by violent crime. And it, 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 fear builds up in, inside of you. You might not have been impacted, but you know people who have. Yeah? If you've ever, I remember we moved into this complex when we first moved into the area. And it was still building in the complex. And we were like one of the first ones moving. It was us and another family. And literally the first night there, they broke in to the guys next door. And for the next few weeks, we lived in fear. Yeah, we kind of like locked, we, the whole family locked ourselves away in it because we just, we lived in fear. It was absolutely terrible. I, like, we just thought maybe we should just leave. And so we live in this, in this country and in this place where things are tough. Economics are tough. Mark mentioned that I'm in the, the IT world, I'm in the corporate world, and at the moment, people are being retrenched at a very rapid rate. So in the IT world, I work for a company that when our, our smaller business was bought by them five years ago, there were 2,500 people in the business. In a couple of weeks' time, it's going to be 489. That's, that's quite a difference. And most of them have been retrenched. I've been retrenched in my life, and um, it, f- it filled me with dread. I remember at first being retrenched kind of thinking, it's almost like it's a surreal moment, yeah? And, and then you gotta, you kind of like, you, you get past that after a few hours and suddenly, I don't know, the adrenaline kicks in and now you gotta start processing stuff. 
now I've got to start making plans because bills are going to come off soon. Yeah? They not that bothered that I've been retrenched. Bills have got to get paid. And I remember kind of emailing uh, banks and you know, schools and the like, and you know, I need a, you know, these things I call a payment holiday. Would you give me a break for a couple of months? So I just, yeah. And so it's kind of like this mayhem in your life. And I remember it kept me, it, I could not sleep. I'm an easy sleeper. I'm literally, I'm one of those guys. My wife, my wife hates it. Because I literally, I say, good night, put my head on the pillow and I'm gone. She just doesn't understand how that's actually possible. It's good. <laughs> Odd occasion, I pretend, but don't tell her that she's just left. Because you know, ladies, they want to have conversations the minute you put your head down. Yeah, but so it's, oh, it's out. Um. <laughs> Good word. Just write that one down, dudes. Um, I couldn't sleep, eh? I was awake for days until I got to a point where I found peace in God. And we're going to read through a scripture now. We'll see how David as he writes the psalm, gets to a place of finding peace. And the first thing that happens when you find peace is you can sleep. So let's have a look through this. See, the reality is our emotions are important. You're a human being. You've been created with emotion. Yeah? You're meant to have it. It's an important thing. It's a godly thing. But the reality is we need to learn to manage our emotions. Because if we let the emotions manage us, it becomes challenging. I kind of have my own words for these kind of spectrums that we find people in. So in the one spectrum, I kind of say, well, you get the bottlers. And I was an avid bottler back in my day. And really, I just it means I just take my emotion and I just put it away. Yeah? I kind of squeeze that thing away. You don't talk about it. And you trust that it kind of just sort itself out over time. And then on the other spectrum, you have the spewers. Now, I promise you, spew is an actual word. It's in the dictionary, but spewer is not. But some poetic licensing, we are talking about poetry this morning. And spewers, we all, we all know a spewer. Yeah, that, they, that the emotion, they feel the emotion, and it comes straight out of their mouths in that very moment. They're just feeling it, and they're saying it, and they, you know, they're usually shouting it. Um, but they're spewers. It just it comes out, yeah? And eventually, bottlers will become spewers, because at some point, that stuff's got to come out. But the Bible says, and especially the Psalms, says there's actually a better way for us to manage and express our emotions. And especially sort of really primal emotions, like fear. It's a very, very primal emotion. And actually, if we don't express it the way the Bible says we should, it will take over our lives. And it will begin to rule the way in which we go about our lives. The Bible says, the psalm says, and it teaches us that we need to pray through our emotions in the presence of God. So the reality is, even if you don't feel like God is with you, when you're in that moment and you're busy spewing, to God in His presence, He is there. You may not feel like He's there, but I'm t- I guarantee you now that He is there. He's in your presence. We need to be able to process this stuff. We need to understand what the source of this is. If you're suffering from fear and anxiety, you need to know what that source is. What is the cause and the effect? How does it relate to my view of God? How does it relate to my view of others? How does it relate to my, the view of myself? It is really, really critical that we process these things in the right way. 
So what I want us to do is, I want us to work through a psalm. And I want to encourage you this morning, you get psalms that are really well known. I think even people who are not saved and have never opened a Bible will know one or two psalms. Yeah? Uh, I joked with Michael this morning, he said, I'm preaching out of the psalms. I said, I said, guess which one? He said, 23. Uh, I said, no. Psalm 3 this morning. If we can put it up onto the screen. So this is a psalm of David. And it says there, when he fled from Absalom, his son. That's an important piece of information. I want to encourage you this morning that when you delve into the psalms, and I really hope that you do, because they are so rich with meaning and significance. I trust that you'll be willing just to do a little bit of work. Just a little bit. Because it will absolutely enrich your life. You need to have a look and understand some of the backstory. So especially those Psalms that are written by David, it helps to understand a little bit about his life. You know, kind of where he started and where he ended up. So in this particular moment when David pens Psalm 3, He is busy fleeing from his son who has raised up an army of 12,000 men. He has staged a coup and they are after him and they want to kill him. That's quite hectic. I don't know if you've ever had 12,000 dudes after you to try and kill you. I reckon that's a pretty bad day. So the thing is, as we start Psalm 3, David starts by identifying his Identify, I sound like a teacher there. Identifying his fear. That's where we need to start. What is this thing that is eating me up? So let's read it. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. I think it's obvious what's troubling him. He says many three times. The fact that 12,000 dudes want to kill him and are chasing after him is troubling him. Yeah, His life is in danger. Fear is welling up. But I want to say this morning, I think there's often there's a difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is often sort of a, a reaction to something happening. Yes, we do fear things, and we, we I know there's been times when when I've allowed the enemy to start speaking things into my head. I think sometimes we can, we can become fearful of, for example, the safety of our kids. You know, of late, that's been a big thing on social media. Yeah? You've got to protect your kids. And you do. But I think that can kind of overtake us. And if we let that thing fester, I think it becomes something called anxiety. See, fear can, is, is sort of almost like this momentary, I rise up in a, in a moment, and there's fear. Anxiety is different. Anxiety kind of, it's this dread, this day after day, just eats away at you, it chips away at you. And there's so many things in our life that f- cause anxiety. And I think in this modern world, I think a lot of people, you know, they end up dying of various diseases, but I think a lot of them are caused by anxiety. You know, this stuff that just eats away at you, this dread in your life because of things that have gone wrong. So he has recognized There is a, he, he's fearing for his life. There are 12,000 men who want to kill him. But there is something deeper here. And this is where I talk about the difference between fear and anxiety. If you look at the deeper layer here, he says this. 
They are saying this of me. They are saying there is no salvation for him in God. So they've been spreading this lie, this sort of propaganda about David. They're not saying they don't believe in God. They do. They're not saying they don't believe God saves. They believe it. They're saying God is done with you, David. And the reality is we often let the enemy convince us of things. We allow him to lie to us. And it comes in the form of, sometimes it comes through the form of people. Sometimes they're just being malicious. Sometimes they don't really know what they're saying. Sometimes there's stuff that you've been processing. They say something and it just hits that nerve. Bah! They didn't realize it. And so they, what they're doing is they're attacking his identity. His identity of as king, his significance, his status as king. See, this is where we need to understand the trajectory of his life. He started out as a shepherd boy. No name brand. No one knew much about him. And God selects him. He chooses him to become king of a nation. And he protects him and he blesses him and he becomes this incredibly powerful king and he wins battles and uh, the people love him and he has an amazing kingdom and life. But there's this turning point in David's life. And we're all aware of the story of David having this adulterous affair. He gets her pregnant and then conspires to have her husband killed, which is quite hectic. But I don't think it was just that moment where something went, he just kind of made a, made a, made a bad decision, something like Michael, you know, tongue-tied. He did say furry Christmas, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Well, that's going to be my furry Christmas to you. Um, I don't think it was just this moment where he makes a bad decision. His heart had began to turn. I think he had begun to take his eye off the giver of the gifts and began to find his identity in the gifts themselves. See, God had gifted him with kingship and with leadership and a father and, 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 this, and this amazing family. But he'd begin to, he began to abuse that. See, he, he used his power as king to take a woman that he found attractive. He abused what God had given him. And he had taken his eyes off God and began to find his identity in what God had given him. And as he sits here now in this place, as, as these guys are after him and he's kind of wondering, what's left? I've squandered this stuff. I was this incredible king and this is where I'm at now. And this is his response. If we look at verse 3. This is how he takes the emotion of fear and anxiety and how he gives it to God. He says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I want to encourage you this morning, if we're going to take this seriously, and we're going to model our prayer life after what David is doing here in the Psalms, you need to see what he's done here. He started out by identifying the fear, giving it to God, but he's now shifted focus completely. He shifted focus from his circumstance and his problem And he started to look at God. He started to look at God and God's character. And he started to use these incredible images. 
And this is another place when we read in the Psalms, I encourage you not just to gloss over them because they have incredible, powerful meaning. He uses three metaphors or three images as he talks about God here. And there's shield, he uses the word shield, he uses the word glory, and he uses the words holy hill. Now I think when we look at this, he is under threat, so I can kind of get that he's praying, Lord, you're my shield, you're going to protect me because I've got 12,000 dudes that are coming to kill me, I could do with a big shield in this moment. So yes, that kind of makes sense, God, you're there to protect him, but actually, the whole concept or the image of the shield is actually different to that. Because if you're waking up in the morning and you're strapping on a shield, you're assuming that you're going to have a bad day. You get that. We're assuming that someone is going to either throw a spear at me or try to stab me with a sword or I'm going to have to carry a shield. You don't just take a shield and go sit at your office desk and type out an email. You assume something bad is going to happen. He's praying that God will protect him. The prayer is not, God, you're going to take all the bad things away. He assumes the bad things are going to happen, and that's not, and he can't prevent that. I think he even reconciles with the fact that he may die. But that's actually, it's not his physical protection that he's praying for. I don't think that he realized that's not the most important thing at play here. There is something else more important, something else that needs protecting more than physical protection. And I think there's this paradox of suffering that we see in Scripture and we process in life. That often it is during these times of suffering that we are closest to God. When everything, all the junk has been stripped away, There's nothing else. It's just you and God. And I think sometimes God uses those moments. He needs to get through to us. And sometimes we just don't see it because we've got all this junk in in, in the way. Actually, that stuff needs to get stripped away. And usually, it's in those times. It's in times of suffering. It's in challenging times. Remember when when I got retrenched, It was probably the first time I actually cried out aloud. And the Bible says David does it, he cries out aloud. I've never done it, I'm a a conservative white guy. Very quiet. Yeah? Bottle my. And so I had to learn to voice, I had to learn for something to come out of me. And cry out aloud to God in those moments of suffering and feel connection with Him, with everything else. Out the way. I mean, the, when we read through the Bible, we realize that the God of the Bible does not always rescue his people. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. It does not mean, though, that he's not there, he's not with me, he's not my shield. He is all of the time. So he prays this, he says, You're my shield around me. So what is it that needs protecting? If it's not necessarily his physical protection, what is it? And in the next line he says this, he says, God, you are my glory. You are my glory. And I I think sometimes we see some of these words and we think they're just biblical words. Or they're just kind of we use these in sort of Christian language. But actually there's huge meaning to this word glory. 
Because actually in the Hebrew, that word kavod or kavod means weight. It means something of, bless you, it means something of significance and of something of importance. So when we talk about the glory of God, we're saying he is the most important, the most significant person there is. God's glory. But the reality is that we also have a, a level of significance as human beings. And what David's enemies are doing here, they're attacking his significance. They're attacking his identity. They're attacking everything that was important to him. He once was a great king. He's sitting there in this hill. 12,000 dudes after him. He's like, I, I was a great king. I was a great father. His family is an absolute mess now. His son wants to kill him. Going to be question marks over his fathering. He once had the moral high ground. That's also gone. What's left? What's left for him in this moment? And so his identity starts to implode as anxiety and fear take over. See, everything that God had blessed him with, he's squandered in some form or another. Yeah, he's, and what he's done is he's actually misplaced his glory. I said it earlier. In his early reign, what did he do? He looked to the giver. He found his glory in the giver. And over time, he begins to find his glory in what God has given him. He starts to find glory in being king. I am powerful. I am king. That begins to identify him. So what the Bible is saying is he misplaced his glory. And in those words where he says, God, you are my glory, he's saying everything else is stripped away. And I realize, God, that all I have is you. You are my glory. You are my significance. You are my identity. That is an extremely powerful confession. Something that we all need to confess, I think, many times in our lives. Because we allow ourselves to misplace our glory. And we find glory in so many things. In a, we live in a, in a material world. We find glory on Black Friday on raises, or on new jobs, and we find glory in all the things that God is gifting us with, as opposed to the giver of the gift. He then goes on, he says, God, you're the lifter of my head. And I, I love that line. We're all familiar with the English saying, just kind of chin up, yeah? So we often, I've got teenagers, and teenagers often, they just walk around like this. So you kind of like, lift your head, boy. Yeah, and really, what you're saying is because by by actually, a bit of body language, it actually just helps a bit for your confidence. Yeah, you off, you do feel a bit more confident when your head is up, and so that's what he's saying. And what he's saying there is, that you're the lifter of my head. You are my confidence. My confidence used to be in everything that I was. I realized that that is nothing. God, you are my confidence. You give me confidence. And so, yes, there are consequences to his actions. There is no doubt about that. But despite that, he realizes that God is with him, that God is for him. Verse 4, he then says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And what's important here is where God is answering David from. So this is why he's got confidence, because he says, God, you are answering me from your holy hill. And holy hill, or maybe in your translation, is holy mountain, it has significance. Because in David's time, in Jerusalem, it's on that holy hill where he set up the tabernacle. And it's in the tabernacle where God's presence resided. The tabernacle would become the temple. 
later on. And what happens in the tabernacle and the temple is that the priests sacrifice. Right? An animal is sacrificed for atonement, for the atonement of sin. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, God, you are speaking to me from the place of your presence where my sin is atoned for. You cover over my sin from your place. So, but when we look and read the Bible, we get to, we have an advantage over David because we are this side of the cross. So when he talks about the holy hill or the holy mountain, looking at it from this side, we no longer see the tabernacle or the temple. We see the cross. We see the sacrifice, Jesus on the cross, the complete and utter atonement for sin. We then see Jesus raised again, covering over everything. Our shield of protection, our shield in terms of power of grace and mercy in the risen king. We get the advantage of that view. So when you read through the Psalms, I encourage you, when you see these type of, this type of wording, Realize that there's a slightly different angle. But it means the same thing. So David is filled with confidence. Why? Because God has sacrificed and has covered over his sin. So what happens next? David sleeps. In the next verse, it says this. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He's got such a different outlook on this now. There are still, the situation has not changed. There are still 12,000 dudes who want to kill him. His view, though, is completely different. And guess what? He can sleep. We often separate all these things. It's like, ah, struggling to sleep. And it's it's work or it's the... Actually, no, God's God's in all of this stuff. Yeah? This is all spiritual. Anxiety and fear will stop you from sleeping. God gives you sleep again. He gives you peace. He gives you rest in Him. So David now has perpetual peace. He has strength. Because you realize God's, God is with him and God is committed to him. But then he says this in verse 7, and this is what most people struggle with in the Psalms. And I encourage you to realize that this stuff is actually real. So he's now found revelation. He's all good with God. And the next thing he says is, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. It's like David. What is wrong with you, guy? You've just told us, you've expressed revelation. God is your savior. You're in a good place. And now you're saying, God, break the teeth of the wicked. That's weird language. What we need to realize is, anger is still an emotion. And sometimes, anger is justified. But what we need to realize is how to manage it. So what does David do? He takes it to God. He does not say, oh, I rise rise in the morning, I'm filled with confidence from God, I'm rested, let me go and smite the enemy. No, no, he gives it to God. He has every reason to be angry. These guys have staged a coup, they had no right to do it. He has a right to be angry, but he has to process it the right way. He gives it to God. And he says, for you strike all my enemies. He doesn't say for I do. 
It says, for you do, God. His emotions are raw. There are some things worth being angry about. It doesn't help to allow your anger to overtake you. Give it to God. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll realize that David actually didn't lift a finger to defeat Absalom. He didn't defeat it. He didn't have to do anything. God did it for him. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to go read it. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. The only dudes here with long hair. Might want to cut that hair, buddy. <laughs> Those who know the story are now having a laugh. Um, he gives it over to God. And then he ends like this. He says this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. In the beginning, he was filled with, ang- with, with anxiety and fear because people were spreading things about him saying there is no salvation for him in God anymore. He's now answering that because God has revealed to him that salvation belongs to the Lord. So no matter what happens in this situation, God, you are with me. Salvation belongs to you. I am yours. No matter what happens. And I think so often we kind of feel like, well, actually, no, God, you've abandoned me because things are happening that aren't great. We've got these bad situations. God, you've abandoned us in South Africa. No, he is with us every step of the way. And then he ends it off with, your blessing be on your people. And I love this. See, revelation of God in our lives kind of turns us full circle. He started out with, it's all about him and his problem and his circumstance. And he ends the psalm with, blessing be on your people. See, now he's acting like the king that he once was. The king that was raised up to protect his people, to lead his people. He's praying blessing over the people. As we end this morning, I kind of want to ask you this morning, what lies are you allowing the enemy to speak over you this morning? I realize that um, being a guy that's obviously in IT and loves technology and all those things, I mean, we're in a relatively good place. I mean, things like social media, they're pretty cool. We have a lot of fun on them. But they can be, they can be terrible places for some people. A lot of people just feel like they're actually... On those forums, I can say what I like to anybody. They'd probably never say it to your face, but in there, I can cut you down as much as I like. And it hits a whole lot of people to the core. Yeah? And we question our identity because of what people say about us, what lies people spread about us. I would encourage you this morning to go on this journey. To take that and give it to God. To identify your source of fear. Maybe you are facing retrenchment this morning. Maybe your family is falling apart. Maybe you were once a great leader and a great father. And people are saying, well, not anymore. God wants to restore that this morning. He is still the God of your salvation. He has not left. He is your shield. 
I'm going to ask us if we can pray this morning. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you this morning that wherever you're at, and maybe you've been there in the past, there's a good chance something's going to happen in your life and you're going to get there again. There's one guarantee, is that there will be trouble. We need to know how to process our lives and our emotions through very difficult times. We need to know and model what David does in the Psalms. It can't just be a case of, well, it worked for David, it's probably not going to work for me. I don't believe that for a second. There's a reason why it's there. There's a reason why he's modeled it. We take our emotions and our fears and our anxieties and we bring them to God. Maybe you have misplaced glory. Maybe God has gifted you with some incredible things and you've taken your eyes off the giver and your identity is now in the gift. I pray for you this morning and ask, would you lift your eyes up? Would you allow God to lift up your head so that you could see that your identity and your glory is in Him? It is in Him, the giver of good gifts. Pray that you better take this away with you and begin to process life in this manner. God says your emotions are important, but He doesn't want them to take over. He's saying to you, bring them to Him and allow Him to manage that and process it so that you can find glory in Him.